We are certainly blessed on this Sunday morning to come together as we are, and as, always, as has already been mentioned, we're thankful for the presence of every single person, our membership, as well as our visitors alike. And it's our earnest hope that our service will be a blessing, not only to us, but far more important, that it'll be a glorification to the God of heaven. As we seek to magnify Him as we've done in song and prayer, we now come to a part of the service where for a few moments we'll reflect on a section of the Word of God. If I could invite you to come to the 18th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, we'll spend our time in that chapter this morning. In fact, in verses 21 and following, we'll be the centerpiece of our lesson. I've entitled it the parable of the unmerciful servant. There's something quite often that occurs when you and I perceive careful unmercifulness in the mind of another. When someone acts in a way that seems so unfair given the way they have been treated, it bothers us. In fact, it really does tear us at the very nature of our heart. But today, as we give thought to this particular parable, it may be we find ourselves in that setting. We'll find ourselves, in a way, afflicted with the kind of discussion we'll discuss this morning. This introductory slide is one that brings the major word before us. It's quite likely there are few words, few topics, few discussions that are more pertinent, more powerful, and more profound than would be the matter of forgiveness. For after all, it's a centerpiece in the Bible. We first encounter that word in Genesis chapter 50. There, interestingly enough, it's when Joseph perceived after the death of Jacob his father that the brothers might treat him somewhat ill-favoredly. And yet, the word forgiveness was a part of the discussion on that occasion. The very last occurrence of that word itself, at least, in the book of 1 John. However, you and I know in many ways that concept is found in every single book of the Bible. Let's close that slide like this. The unmerciful servant is a parable found in the 18th chapter of Matthew. And as we discuss it this morning, we'll learn, among other things, that this parable is only found in this location. You don't find versions of it in Mark or Luke. With that in mind, let's set the parable first. And then we'll close our lesson with a number of observations about it. Earlier in Matthew chapter 18, the following settings aid us to appreciate the placement. Why was Jesus discussing this in the first place? Partly it all came about, as you can see on that slide. Jesus, early in this chapter, had been emphasizing the topic of repentance and what it meant to be a disciple. This is what's involved, He would say, as you come to follow Me. It was in that context he said, you got to be like a little child. And he took a child and set that child in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you become as a little child, you shall in no wise, in fact, be that servant of mine. But not only that, he pointed out the nature and the criticality of serving him faithfully. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Among other things, you'd be better off without the one if you go to heaven rather than having two of those things and it cause you to be lost. But with all of that in mind, there's a discussion about discipline, 
the love that would lead a person or a group of people to discipline someone because they've erred from the faith? It was in that context Peter asked this question in verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Isn't that a good question? Peter thus perhaps asked the very matter that would quickly come to any of our minds as the Lord discussed forgiveness. But we might be quick to say, but Jesus, I have forgiven him three times already. He has erred against me, perhaps. He has engaged in an activity that was an affront, a sin toward me. And three times he came and asked my forgiveness. And every time as a dutiful servant, I forgave him. Maybe a person in that position would expect the Lord's commendation. You've done a great thing. Peter went on, though, to offer this thought. Till seven times? So, Lord, if my brother sins against me, and seven times he beseeches my forgiveness, and I forgive him those seven times, isn't that enough? Isn't that sufficient? Isn't that adequate? You know, the number seven is often in the Bible a perfect number, isn't it? It carries the thought of completion. It carries the thought of fullness. In the sense that you and I remember many times in the Revelation, as for example, seven spirits of God, Revelation chapter 4. As for example, the seven bowls of Revelation chapters 15 and 16. Well, in this case, maybe Peter felt that seven would be a matter of perfectness. Let's look at how the Lord replied in the next verse. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. If Peter thought that the number seven was sufficient, if he thought there would never be a circumstance beyond which I would be invited to forgive my brother more than seven times, he was mistaken. Jesus said, I don't say to you till seven times, until seventy times seven. And as you can see on the slide, the Lord's answer is a very prompting one. Literally, notice what it was. Seventy, of course, is seven times ten. And so seventy times seven would be seven times seven times ten. And all of those put together remind us it's a double on the perfection idea, 7 times 7, and then it extends it by this perfect number 10, or this number indicative of completion in the human sense. Jesus was teaching something dramatic about forgiveness, wasn't He? So dramatic, in fact, that it'll carry us through the rest of the chapter. As you and I proceed along that way, it was immediately after that Jesus then had these words to say, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. 
And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. What a stirring record. Often we call it the parable of the unmerciful servant. As you can see near the bottom of that slide, just a brief rehearsal of the facts which went into the parable. And then later we'll give some thought to the meaning for you and for me. But the facts of the case are these. There was a king and we appreciate that there had been a number that no doubt had become indebted to him in one way or another. And as we begin the parable, it says, the king made a reckoning of what was owed unto him and by whom. You'll notice on the slide, as the king took this account, he recognized or came to be aware of the fact that, verse number 24, there was one who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents? You and I no doubt would have an interest to know, I wonder how much that was. Now our Lord, of course, never stated anything that was unfactual. He never stated anything improper or that was misleading. The talent, of course, was a means of determining weight. And therefore you could speak about a talent of, of iron or a talent of silver or a talent of gold. It would seem though the text doesn't say that perhaps this was the talent of gold. If that be the case, may I offer you this thought. If that was a talent of gold, and hence this person owed the king 10,000 talents of it, I took the liberty of looking up the other day what the current price of gold is in our world economy. Right now, it is almost exactly $1,500 an ounce. If that is the case, that means the amount that this man owed the king was in excess of $18 trillion. Let that sink in a moment. If it was the talent of gold, this person owed the king in excess of $18 trillion. However, as you proceed onward, notice what the king did. The initial response was, put this man into prison, sell his family and all that he has, in order that they might be able to pay. However, you'll notice in verse number 26, it says, the servant fell down and worshipped him. We might already take note. Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. A stirring scene. Notice this man made this assertion. Be patient with me. I'll pay it. May I ask, do you consider it likely 
the man could ever have paid $18 million. Could you pay $18 million? $18 trillion, I should say. If you and I were to take everything we'll ever make in our working life, combine it together, and even put interest on top of it, would we ever be able to pay a debt of $18 trillion? For most people, that answer is obvious and clear. You might want to keep that in mind as we proceed through the lesson. This person made the claim, I will repay it. Do you suppose he was truthful? Do you suppose he had in mind the fullness of what this was going to involve? As we step through it even further, the man offered worship to that king, and then you'll notice this decision on the part of the king. Verse number 27, The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him. Loosed him. Don't you suppose it would be one thing to be loosed of a small debt, but for someone to just erase a debt of $18 trillion? You don't owe it anymore. Don't worry about it any longer. You are completely free from everything that that debt entailed. This is a shocking thing in many ways, and yet it's going to be a dramatic teaching point. At this point, the scene quickly shifts to what the behavior of this person was. Verse 28, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. So this individual also was one who was owed somewhat by another. And verse 28 declares, Which owed him an hundred pence. A hundred pence. Somewhere on the order of twenty dollars. Perhaps more carefully, more like seventeen to eighteen. He had been forgiven of eighteen trillion. He was owed roughly twenty dollars. I wonder how he reacted. He laid hands on him and demanded, Pay me what you owe me. His fellow servant fell down at his feet, verse number twenty nine and besought him, saying, Have patience with me. I will pay you all of it. Now, there's nothing unreasonable, correct, about that appreciation. You or I could repay a debt of $20. We would be able to have that capability. This second person pleaded for mercy, pleaded for compassion. Verse number 30 gives us this reply. He would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. This servant who himself had been forgiven of so much was unwilling completely to extend any mercy, any compassion, any pity on this second servant. And furthermore, so much so that in fact over $20 in our money today had him cast into prison until by some means the debt was paid. Verse number 31 goes on to say, When his fellow servants saw what was done, those who were aware of the situation observed it, they saw it, they appreciated the behavior. It says they were sorry and came and told the Lord. They told the master who had forgiven him of $18 trillion. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant 
even as I had pity on thee. That slide has that at least brought the facts of the case before us. And to an extent they have worked within you and me a sense of our almost disbelief that someone forgiven of that extent would then behave in that fashion toward another who owed so little. Verse number 34 says this, And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. The takeaway lesson for you and me, verse number 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father, Jesus speaking, do unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. We have been given a dissertation on forgiveness from the lips of Jesus Himself. A passage, a message very touching to all of us. With the idea of the record before us, what are some lessons, some observations that you and I can use on a daily basis to help us not be like the unmerciful servant? Lesson number one, the concept of reckoning. This takes us back to the beginning of the parable. There was a king, the text says, who made a reckoning of and accounting of his servants. And so on that slide, may we learn the initial observation. The Lord's parables, more often than not, the individuals represented in the parable represent a very critical entity. Who is the king? Without a doubt, it's God. In this parable, the king represents God. So if you like to make notes in your Bible along that line, you might put that little note there. The king represents God. Among other things, how do we know this? Could I direct your attention to two verses? First of all, verse number 26. The servant fell down and worshipped him. Who's the him? The king. And yet Jesus on other occasions had said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. So the King must be God, for you don't worship men. You don't worship angels. No being is worthy of worship except God. The King represents God. Notice also verse 35, our lesson text. Jesus again saying, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. The Lord identifies the king is the heavenly father. But not only that, note this point. There was a time of reckoning. This person owed 10,000 talents. And maybe to that point, the king had given very little, if any, attention to that fact. But yet the time came when there was a time of reckoning. In your life or mine, there will inevitably be a time of reckoning. We may slide through life, proceed through to an extent in which we perhaps think, maybe I'm not going to have to face the consequences of that decision that I made or this choice that I made. We may think, oddly enough, others have forgotten. Maybe God has. God will never forget. If it ought not be forgotten, God will never forget. Notice there was a time of reckoning, and one last thought reminds us of Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. 
Aren't we taught there that unforgettable passage, that scene in which we notice, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting, but he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. There's going to be a time of reckoning, and you and I should appreciate that the king, if it's not to be forgotten, he will not forget it. But what about a second lesson? Would it not be this? Maybe this is one of the issues from this parable that so immediately leaps to our consideration. The size of the debts. As you read it, it's so easy to appreciate this one owed so much. 10,000 talents, again equivalent in today's money it would seem to in excess of $18 trillion. Whereas the second one was such that the debt owed to him was only $20, perhaps even a bit less. I wonder what the debts represent. That is to say, what lesson is being sent before you and me with those thoughts in mind? Would it not be this? It's a description of sin, an understanding of the nature of it, and what it is that's involved in it. Remember, if the king is God, the servant owed him 10,000 talents. The servant was indebted to God. He had offended him in the sense of the meaning to you and me. This servant was in that much debt for what he had done. May I ask about your sins and mine? As you'll notice on that slide, as sin is described in the Word of God, isn't it true that it is against God? In Genesis 39.9, when Joseph found himself in that very unfortunate situation with Potiphar's wife, wasn't it Joseph who said, How can I do this sin against God? Well, now truly it would have been an offense against Potiphar, but that wasn't what Joseph said. It would have been an offense against perhaps what his family had stood for, but that's not what Joseph said. He said it was a sin against God. In Ananias and Sapphira's situation of Acts chapter 5, they lied, so they lied to the apostles. But that's not what the text says. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Every sin that you and I may or ever could commit... It's a sin fundamentally against God. It's true others may be impacted by it. It's true others can be hurt by it. But at the most basic level, it's an offense to the God that made us, what His will is for us, and the way in which the world should proceed in service to Him. You and I, as sinners against God, owe $18 trillion. Incomparable sum. As I asked before, can you pay it? Can I pay it? If we worked a lifetime, would we ever have enough money to pay off that much debt? I won't. Not even close. My suspicion is you won't either. Not even close. In fact, I would submit if we put together everything any of us will ever have monetarily, it won't come close to $18 trillion. What we owe God, we cannot pay. We can never, ever obtain forgiveness for our own sins. That gives us an understanding, doesn't it, that what Jesus was teaching here is the seriousness of sin. 
And this is one of the challenges, isn't it? Because it's so tempting to look upon sin in much different light than that. But it's only a deception. It's only a little lie. It's only a minor matter in using poor language. I just used language I shouldn't have used. But therein lies the problem. We see those things as being insignificant. We see them as being almost unimportant. And yet, if there are violations of the will of God, they are eternally serious and the sum of $18 trillion in total rests upon us. As we close that slide and look at the next one, doesn't it remind us then that often that sin against God, as we've just learned, is so extensive, and yet someone else who has just spoken somewhat unadvisedly perhaps has hurt my feelings and I'm unwilling to forgive him. But yet I have offended God in the sense I've sinned against Him and He has been willing to forgive me $18 trillion and I won't forgive somebody who perhaps in a moment of weakness said what he or she has often regretted and they've even begged my forgiveness and I will not give it. How inconsistent. How completely inconsistent. One of the points that the Lord made is that God has been so compassionate to us. And when we ask, He forgave. And sometimes when others ask, we won't forgive. Lesson number three. What about foolishness? We mentioned this a moment ago, but maybe it's time to revisit in some more detail. That first servant, the one who had been forgiven so much... Did you notice what he promised? When the king was making reckoning of him, he said, Please have mercy on me. Verse number 25. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant fell down, worshipped him, and said, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. It would certainly seem that this person knew he would never be able to pay that debt. If you and I, again, were indentured for a lifetime, we could never pay off a debt of $18 trillion. And yet, that's the wording that the person used, and the king extended compassion anyway. Don't worry about paying it, I will forgive it. I will, in essence, release you from all bondage in relation to it. But it seems to me the wording of the person, the servant was a bit on the foolish side, claiming that he could pay it. Doesn't that remind us? In your case and mine, obtaining forgiveness for our sins by ourselves is impossible. It doesn't matter how much good work you or I might do, how much benevolence we might extend, how much offer we might in fact make toward the service in the kingdom by ourselves, we could never pay the debt. There's a need for forgiveness. There is a genuine and required need for forgiveness. 
I hope one of the things we can each appreciate then is in our positions as Christians, how thankful we ought to be. The Master has extended to us not just a lessening of the debt, a complete forgiveness of the debt. Look at these verses. Ephesians 1 verse 7, You and I have forgiveness through His blood. Echoed in Colossians 1.14 and reiterated in 1 Peter 1 verses 18 and following. The debt we owe to God is far, far more than we could ever pay by ourselves. You'll notice in this fourth lesson, what a sweet message that it is about forgiveness. The king forgave him. The king forgave. Could we build some of these points together? The servant, in fact, did beseech the king, please have mercy on me. And the king was willing to hear, when you or I commit sin, aren't you thankful we can approach the king? Even in that state, God, I'm so sorry. And in that sorrow, I repent. And the king is willing to hear. The king is willing to forgive. The king, in fact, is delighted to do it. But it requires that you and I approach him it requires that you and I have a heart of penitence and a desire to be right in His sight. That next point you'll notice on that slide, that very same servant who had been forgiven of so much was then so unforgiving toward the other who asked. Are you and I ever in that position? Have you ever been in a case where though God has forgiven you of so much, even though a person, an individual, has asked you to forgive them, you've been unwilling, you hold a grudge, you hold ill will, you hold a, an attitude of, let's say, hurtfulness. You know, we shouldn't do that. Because you'll notice what Jesus said. As we look at the next point, this very issue that He raised, and earlier Peter had asked till seven times, and Jesus said, no till 70 times 7. That can try our patience, can't it? This person who has offended me, hurt me, and genuinely done so, and yet begged my forgiveness, not once, not twice, not even three times, we should have an interest in and a genuine hope for the fact they might continue to ask again if they offend us, and we'll be honored. In fact, happy to extend an element of forgiveness. The development of this point number five is in many ways a very shocking thing. As we read it a moment ago, did you notice what happened after these things had occurred? When the servants recognized what the servant had done, he threw this other person in prison over such a measly sum, and they knew he had been forgiven of so much. They took word to the Lord, and here's what he did. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, did you notice? After that word had been brought to the Master, the Master didn't say, I have already forgiven that, I don't want to hear any more about it. He called the person back in. We need to have a talk. And then he said, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant? 
And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Did you notice? The master originally forgave the debt. And then after he learned that this other person had behaved in the way that he did, he then said, I tell you what, we're going to rethink this. I'm going to cast you into prison to the tormentors until you pay your debt. In other words, the person then became in a position needing to pay the $18 trillion. The master rescinded his decree of forgiveness. What do we think about that? And what does that say about the position that you and I should occupy? You'll notice on this slide, as the person, this servant, found himself now needing to pay this notice, he was in the t before the tormentors, and not only that, until he could pay. When God extends forgiveness to you and to me, it is a wonderful and thankful thing to appreciate the wiping away of all those past sins and the guilt of them. Although there may be consequences, we thankfully don't serve the guilt. But if we then refuse to extend forgiveness to those who ask it of us, who genuinely ask it of us, you'll notice the parable seems to indicate we then become lost again and we're going to have to be in a position to where we will have to suffer an eternity because we're lost if we won't forgive others. It is for that reason you'll notice on this slide, this isn't the only time Jesus taught this. Could I redirect your attention to Matthew chapter 6, early in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus had these words to say. Verse 14, If ye forgive me in their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not me in their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You and I must be people of forgiveness, or else we can hold no hope of heaven. We can hold no hope of being right with God. In light of His forgiveness of us, may we seek to mature and develop to the point where we too can be individuals that also appreciate the importance of and the application of forgiveness. Let's close our lesson like this. This slide is just a quick attempt to rehearse many of the features we've learned today about God's extensive forgiveness of us, $18 trillion. And yet, can you and I be willing to be unforgiving of somebody, a brother or sister, who though he or she asked our forgiveness, were unwilling to extend it? Jesus says that's inconsistent. And verse 35 says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. I hope we can be re-energized with the blessing and the thought of forgiveness so that when a person, a brother, sister comes and does make statement, I'm sorry, I didn't realize how that hurt you. I truly didn't know. If I had, I would never have done it. And I really have no excuse for behaving the way I did. Would you forgive me? We must extend forgiveness if we don't, we are just like the unmerciful servant. And if we don't, God's going to demand of us what we cannot pay. 
Jesus thus taught us to be forgiving, to have that heart much like God has. And so as we close that slide, we've learned about the size of our debt. Today, it might be that there's someone in this audience who has never become a Christian, and so you're still lumbering beneath the load of a debt that you'll never be able to pay. Surely you don't want to proceed through life like that. Surely you don't want to arrive at the day of judgment like that. Today, you can become a Christian. You must believe in Jesus with all of your heart, repent of your sins, confess His matchless name, and be buried in baptism for the remission of sins. There's where the sins are taken away. When you're baptized, you come up out of the water, and no longer is that dead attached to you. $18 million, $18 trillion wiped clean. But if you live unfaithfully, perhaps in part including being willing to be unforgiving, if, if you or I are in that position, we need to rush down this aisle today and seek to be forgiven of that sin and strive in the days ahead to develop an attitude and a heart, much like Jesus taught in our lesson today. If we could help anybody in your response publicly to the gospel's call of invitation, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?